I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos. And welcome to episode one of The Back Peg. Yes, episode one. <laughs> How funny is that, eh? Yes, to it's those, amazing. Yes. We've done 30-odd episodes of The Back Peg during the World Cup, but here we are doing our episode one. It, it seems strange, but that's just how it panned out. That's right. Uh, that's right. How have you been, Nathan? I've been really good. It's been a fun couple of weeks away over the holiday period and trips away, and very happy to come back down here and uh, sit and talk about football again. It should be a lot of fun. Just the way how the back is going to move forward now. Evolve, I guess. Yeah. Yes, how it will evolve. And it, it should be fun. should be a fun time ahead, particularly in the build-up to this coming June, July, which we have a lot of things planned for that. Laz, how has your holiday period been, the time off since the World Cup? Yeah, yeah. No, it's been good Good to recharge. Um, yeah, so, yeah, a bit of family time. And uh, although we all got COVID at one point, but, um, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, I was getting over it and the family got it. So there you go. But yeah, no, it's been good to recharge and uh, have a bit of family time and take in some football and uh, reflect as well. It's uh, happy new year to everyone as well. It's been a, you know, it's been a great time of year. So, but um, yeah, with a few losses, unfortunately, in the football world, which have kind of caused us to uh, pause and reflect and how we came to love football and who we watched growing up. Absolutely, and it's been a it's been a little bit of a rough sort of couple of weeks on that front for the um for the passings in the world game, and uh, none more high profile, I guess, than of course Pele. Mm. We were sort of talking a little bit during the World Cup how his uh, cancer diagnosis was worsening a little bit towards the back end of it, and perhaps Brazil can go on and win the whole thing for him. That didn't eventuate, but uh, unfortunately, Pele has. Uh, uh, is no longer with us and he has succumbed. But uh, what a life he led and what a fantastic career, what a fantastic person. Probably the first real sporting superstar globally, if you think about it, in in terms that, you know, 1958 Sweden World Cup, you know, just incredible. Uh, to score three goals in the uh, final as a 17-year-old and one of the goals in particular is just an incredible, you know, incredible skill shown. So... And then to go through to 62 and be kicked out of the – physically kicked out or, you know, injured during the 66 World Cup because he was being kicked from pillar to post uh, by the Portuguese side. And then to come back in the 1970 World Cup with that side, which was an incredible, incredible uh, victory for Brazil. And, you know, to have uh, the first World Cup on Cutler TV as well, 1970, and to see those iconic images and – you know, you watch those highlights now and you you still appreciate the skill and the way that they played the game, the resilience, and in particular Pele's contribution to the team. Just what a career, what a career, and what a legacy that he's left behind for uh, others to take up. Absolutely, and uh, you've got people like Mr. Mr. Gianni Fatino suggesting that every country around the world should name a stadium after Pele, and uh, there's been a couple that have taken him up on that advice or suggestion. Uh, but it goes to show this just how far-reaching his legacy has been as a player. Where you have countries around the world naming arenas after him, uh, I, I'll be surprised if there's one here in Australia named after Pele. Um, maybe we can rename Campbelltown Stadium to the Pele International Football Arena. Oh, how about Schwarzer Stadium? I think we should name some. <laughs> of the, you know, I, think, I think we should name some of our stadium after um, some of our stadiums rather after our. Uh, 
own Socceroos, which will be a battle in itself. But um, yeah, uh, look, I appreciate the sentiment, but uh, I think it was a bit of uh, Gianni Infantino being Gianni Infantino. He's got himself in some hot water this past week with some Swiss authorities, but we won't get into uh, that too much. Let's not talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked enough about Gianni Infantino on the back peg already. I think we've wished our quota. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. But uh, yeah. But there was another big piece of news over the break as well that uh, Gianluca Vialli. Mm, recently, yeah. That was a tragic loss. And um, Mihailovic as well, Sinisima Mihailovic as well in recent uh, times. You know, two absolute legends of the Serie A. And, you know, I mean, look, I'm a little bit older than you, Nathan, and we'll get onto our journeys uh, as well, I guess, as to how we, you know, came to love football, enjoy football, and how we came to put the podcast together as well. All right. But, um, look, growing up as a kid in the 80s and then, you know, being exposed to SBS World Soccer and having the likes of, you know, the dearly departed Les Murray, Johnny Warren, um, you know, Andy Pascalides, George Stanikian on our TV screens for World Soccer. And initially it was just five o'clock on a Saturday afternoon for an hour. And then it grew to its, you know, uh, bigger forms in the 80s, like late 80s and uh, 90s, right? But that's where we were exposed, like kids of my, of that vintage, were exposed to the history of Real Madrid, um, Maradona's um, exploits. You know, um, and then you move through and you follow the kind of journey through from um, the 86 World Cup, which was, you know, any watershed moment in football, and then to Italian 90 and the way that SBS covered that. And obviously the rise of Serie A Italian football there as well, with Maradona going over to Napoli and, and likewise having, you know, the, um, the Germans at Inter Milan, the Dutch at AC Milan, the, you know, Legends of Juventus, you know, and then going into the nineties there with uh, with the way that Serie A was considered the world's best league at the time as well. So it was just the golden age for football, and Viali was part of that, you know. Yeah, he absolutely was, and you see, well, I've seen plenty of tributes this past week or two that there's been so many people who have come up with their own anecdotes surrounding Viali that not only was he a good player, a good manager, but just a great person as well, mm. and many anecdotes that people were ha- were interviewing and negotiating with him and these sorts of things that he didn't speak in cliches. No. is something I've heard a lot, something yep. that um, some players often uh, rely too heavily on these days and he often spoke philo- philosophically as well that yep. he was able to give you something that made you sit back and think. Yeah, he was a cheeky and- bastard. Yep. <laughs> God rest Absolutely. his soul. Yeah, but, but, you know, I always had a smile. Uh, full of character, and that's what you want to see. And look, Pele was full of character as well, and uh, Maradona had his own character, and he was just incredible. But you see, like, I mean, I'll actually ask you a question, Nathan. Two things. What flashes into your mind when it comes to Pele? Like, what's the image that the iconic moment that captures your imagination? And likewise with uh, Viali, because they're two stars of a, yep, sure, of a different era. But, and I'm not saying that Viali was in the class of Pele, but there are, as obviously we've progressed, you know, there's more imagery around. But what is the iconic image that you have of Viali? Well, I'll start with Pele. Um, the one that comes to mind is that famous photo of him being held up at the 1970 World Cup, I believe it was, by Jairzinho, 
and with his arm raised aloft. That's that's the image I've got of Pele in my mind. And it's partly because that one has just been circulated so many times. And of course, uh, Pele, I didn't get the pleasure of watching him myself, but uh, you just see from clips online and all these sorts of things, just how good he was at the time. And that's the one image I've got of Pele, that one that I described. And Yeah, that's an iconic image. Yeah, and just the one, uh, some of the other scenes of the World Cups as well, down the years come to mind as, as well. Uh, for Viali, I don't have one that really stands out as much as that iconic photo of Pele, but I do remember um, very late on at his days at Chelsea, as mm-hmm. he was leading Chelsea into the Champions League for the first time mm. in that format, of course, not the European Cup, mm. but in the Champions League. And yeah, not too much on Viali for me, just uh, that sort of image of... I remember I remember one time post-game, just walking around at the end of, the, at the end of a game at the bridge, he was... I'm, it escapes in which game it was, but sure. yeah, just walking around and taking it in, and and yeah, that that sort of comes to mind. But I don't have too many memories of, of Viali from yeah. a mind perspective. But I'm sure you've got a lot more, Laz. Yeah, I'm going to show my age here, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what you're getting at. And I appreciate the point. I know, like you know, <laughs> well, that, we're uh, going to talk a little bit about our football journeys yeah, later yeah. on. Yeah, uh, sure. uh, mine's a bit shorter. Yeah, <laughs> keep rubbing it in, will you? <laughs> Honestly. Oh, dear. No, but um, yeah, look, with Pelé, I agree. That I- that uh, image after the 1970 World Cup final is is iconic and, and that's the most memorable one. But I will say this, um, he did things for American soccer at the time just after the World Cup. So he left Santos in 72, I believe. and. Um, Took um, and there was a person associated with the New York Cosmos that they were trying to kick off the North American Soccer League in the seventies, in the early seventies, and uh, they made a play for Pele, but it took them about three years to actually get Pele to agree. So you know, and then uh, you see Pele with the iconic white New York Cosmos um, strip and um, and the away strip, the green strip with the number ten on the front, and you had the likes of you know. Georgie Best going over there as well. Um, you know, Franz Beckenbauer play. you know, Pelé played with Franz Beckenbauer, you know, at the New York Cosmos. So um, just an incredible time for the first incarnation of um, a an American professional league. Um, but obviously now that's progressed with the MLS. Viali, when you look at his, at his career, right, and like I said, I'm going to show my age being, you know, an early teen in the 90s, him and Mancini uh, linking up at Sampdoria and that iconic Sampdoria kit with ERG on the sponsor. I never knew who they were, but just the iconic Sampdoria kit. ASICS uh, produced it just with the Sampdoria stripes as they have now and just an ERG sponsorship and uh, him and Mancini arm in arm and just, you know, they were an incredible duo at Sampdoria at the time. But, um, yeah, brought success to that club. And, obviously, that led to um, Viali making his way to Juve. But, uh, yeah, that's an iconic photo of mine, you know. And you obviously saw how a lot they carried into, um, you know, the Euro uh, 2020 uh, campaign with uh, Italy being successful and, you know, Viali being um, Mancini's assistant. Yeah, very much so. It just shows the the long and... Uh, well respect the career that he earned, Viali, and one of the go- one of the good guys of football, and uh, the world could do with uh, plenty more people in that vein. 
Indeed. So, Nathan, let me just ask you straight out, how did you come to love football? What's your personal story? My, my personal story, because this is something that we're going to get into a lot on the back peg when we have guests on. We're going to get them to talk about their journeys in football and how they got to the present day when we record them. And what better way to start off than with our personal journey through football, how we fell in love with the game and some of our earliest memories as well. And when I'm speaking about some of my earliest memories, they're going to be a little bit clearer for you just because uh, you were older at the time and <laughs> able to. This is a constant theme. Yes, a constant uh, theme indeed. <laughs> old, bar- um, old bastard and young bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got the name of the episode for this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but some of the earliest memories of football I've got, because I come from a, a half Dutch family. My mother is Dutch and uh, her parents came from Holland uh, and the family partly came from Amsterdam, partly came from Overazel, which is out in the far east. Mm-hmm. From the towns of Hengelo, which is a, a smallish town near the German border. Mm-hmm. Any famous football club around there? Uh, FC Twente was ah, the big club there you go. in yeah, the region. Okay. There you go. They're not from Hengelo, but sure. they're just up the road. Mm-hmm. And half the family goes for FC Twente, and half the family goes for Ajax because they're from Amsterdam. So it's Twente. And oh, Twente. 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 Yeah, Twente. Because yeah, mm. I've heard it pronounced Twente, but yeah, okay. Mm. There you go. Yeah. That's how I've always heard it anyway, yeah, FC cool. Twente. And the earliest football memories I've got is from, I always called him Uncle Ed, but uh, in actual fact, it was my mother's uncle. Mm-hmm. And he would always talk to me about the great Dutch players down the years, mm. the likes of Cruyff, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, the likes of Van Basten. He was always talking about attacking players, Cruyff, Van Basten. And at the time, it was Van Nistelrooy. Okay, Van yes. Nistelrooy. Yes. Brilliant striker. And probably the most clinical striker you've ever seen and ever will see. Just the ultimate poacher, the fox in the box. Mm-hmm. And if he shot within the 18-yard area, it was going to be a goal. Mm. And it's those sort of stories that he uh, gave me back when I was maybe, how, how old will I have been at the time? Maybe somewhere between six and ten. Mm. Those are the stories that sort of allowed me to fall in love with the game because growing up, pretty much all my circles away from that sort of Dutch side of the family was very much a rugby league family. Yeah, sure. And it was always rugby league on in the house. We never mm-hmm. really watched football at, mm. at home. Mm. It was always rugby league, always rugby league. And throughout time, I sort of gained a bit more of an appreciation for the sport, of course. Mm. It wasn't pretty much up until, say, 2010 or so when I properly, properly fell in love with the game. Okay. And I'd always watch it, particularly the likes of the 2006 World Cup. I watched it. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't call myself a football fan until around 2010, 2011, say. Mm. And so, at that point, I was a Manchester United supporter, and mm-hmm. that sort of fed in because of Ruud van Nistelrooy. I was going to say, yep. And I thought, that there's the link there. And he was always a great striker, Dutch striker. It's easy, particularly when you're a kid, you always fall in love with the attacking players more than mm-hmm. defending. You, mm-hmm. you grow an appreciation for that side of the game later on. Yeah. But when you're just starting out, you fall in love with strikers, wingers, goals, Everyone. these sorts of things. Everyone's school goals. Absolutely. And Ruud van Nistelrooy and- um, since 2010 at Manchester United, Robin Van Persie as well. Mm. And I think, yeah, Robin Van Persie is sort of the, the one player that I've got as like my number one favourite player. Okay, cool. Because I've got, I've seen a theory around and I back, it, I back it up as well that the moment you fall in love with a game, maybe two or three years later, one sort of attacking player or the highest profile player in the club you support, that's the player that you have as your number one all-time favourite. 
Mm, okay. And it holds up for me as Robin Van Persie because, mm. as I as I say, fell in love with the game properly at circa 2010. Mm. Van Persie came to United 12, 13. Mm-hmm. The timeline lines up for me. Um, we'll see mm. if it lines up for you with your sort of football uh, journey. But I don't, I don't that's- know. <laughs> We're about to sound all this out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that, that's the sort of thing I have. The earliest football memory I have actually watching a match was a game at Old Trafford. I believe it was Manchester United against Chelsea. And I think Drogba scored in that game. I think it was around 2009, 2010-ish uh, on, on the club side of things. But of mm. course, Germany 2006, mm-hmm. Uruguay 2005. Mm-hmm. Those are the sort of earliest, earliest memories I've got of Jeez. following football. I feel real old. <laughs> <laughs> If 2005 uh, is your earliest yes. memory, I feel real old. <laughs> oh, not yeah. <laughs> and the 2002 World Cup in South Korea and Japan, great time zone for here, but I have mm. zero memories whatsoever. I don't think I watched it. Yeah. I remember the World Cup well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, what's what's been so what's been your football highlight so far? If you ask me for one football moment- no, Not necessarily, just one, but it's just a couple, you know. Well, there is one that I hold above all others, mm-hmm. and there's a bit of a might raise your eyebrow a little bit, mm-hmm. but it is the Brazil fourteen Australia against the Netherlands. Tim Cahill's goal. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That is that's the one moment that I have above every other because we were out at a, a very famous establishment here in Sydney watching it, mm-hmm. and you can give the name the name of the establishment if, if oh, I'd rather around. not. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> don't, they don't need any more publicity. Ah, uh, okay, right, and. Because the Netherlands had just scored. Yes. And it was a little bit downbeat. Correct. Because Australia had fallen behind. Yes. And just Tim Cahill goes and does that. Yes. A spectacular left-footed volley. Mm. And it's just complete bedlam. That was- That's an out-of-body experience. Something that I've not felt yeah. since. Yeah. Watching football. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's that's the one that I have above all others. That's pretty cool. Disappointment. Not that we want to bring things on and down, but you've got to take the uh, good with the bad and the- and the highs and the lows. But, yeah, it was just a moment of euphoria yeah. when that goal went in. And we didn't go on to win the game, of course. And no. We didn't win any – well, we didn't win any game in that World Cup, but, geez, we played some great football. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we certainly did. <laughs> and we felt good about ourselves too. Yeah. And uh, from that game as well, I remember Matt Leckie squaring up with Robin. and uh, That's right. Yeah. Uh, saying some uh, choice words. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yes, yes, to answer your question, yes, that is the one sort there of football go. memory I have that I hold above all others, as well as Robin Van Persie's hat-trick goal against Aston Villa, the one yes. where yes. Rooney fires the ball from around yep. the halfway point. Just had to think about Van that Persie. one. Yeah. Left-footed yep. volleys, I tell you, Laz. Yes. Something about left-footed volleys. Are, <laughs> I tell you what, when they hit well, geez, they look good. <laughs> You know, I've uh, seen recall Ryan Giggs hitting a couple of good choice ones as well mm, yep. in, his, in his days at uh, Man U. Why, so, why Man U? That was because of Nisseroy? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. It goes back to that Dutch connection. Okay. Um, United have always had brilliant Dutch players down the years. Mm. Before my time, of course, the likes of uh, Yapstam. Mm-hmm. I never got to see Yapstam play. But <laughs> I did. Uh, Van Nistelrooy. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, Van, Van Nistelrooy, Van der Sar. Yeah. Van Persie, and it feeds through to today where we've got a manager from the east of Holland. Yeah, there from, you go. Uh, the town just to the northeast of Hengelo, where the family's from. The next town northeast is where Ten Hag is from. Mm, okay. And yes, so a bit of uh, family pride as well from that sort of area. Cool. And potentially 
United's new signing. As we speak, United haven't signed Wout Weghorst. But if they go and do it, they go and uh, complete the deal, then he's from uh, Borna, which is the town to the northwest of Hangalo. So it's very much a, uh, a East Holland connection there at Manchester United, and that is very much uh, lines up with uh, my journey through football, absolutely. So I'm having a great time at the moment following Man United. Results aside. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the results have been pretty good too. Any other clubs that you follow? I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but, you know, and we'll get on to how we came you know, to put the podcast together, but yeah. But um, any other teams? So if I'm talking about a Dutch team, it would be Ajax. Okay. But I've never really fully, let's say, I'm an Ajax fan. And it's mm. partly because it's never been on TV here. I, you never get the opportunity to watch the Eredivisie here in Australia. And, yeah. Uh, I've tried many times to uh, set up an alternative way to watch it. Uh-huh. But the uh, the rights, they're available for the, any Australian provider, but no one's just gone and picked them up. Perhaps there's no uh, value in it, perhaps, or something of that nature. It's a business decision, I suppose. Sure. Also, teams that I sort of follow, got to support the local club. Uh, it's MacArthur. It's okay. obviously a, a new new addition to the- uh, to the stable, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, got to support your local team. And um, also, Athletic Club Bilbao is one that I picked up in the last uh, six club. months or so. Because I, I was there back in May. Mm-hmm. Went to see a visit uh, Bilbao. Mm. And we'll get on to uh, some other things that we did in Spain yep. uh, in, in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, just going to the club museum and reading everything about it. And I had already known the sort of rule that they yeah. go by Which in is- terms of their only... They have a self-imposed rule of mm-hmm. only signing Basque players. Yeah. And it's amazing that not only have they never been relegated from mm. the Spanish first division in their entire existence, but also they've been able to go and be successful, play in Europe, win leagues, win Super Leagues, win Cups. And it's an amazing club, amazing club. And yeah, just one that you, it's very easy to get behind them. Yeah. Uh, they're a great club. Great club. And um, yeah. They've got a great storied history. Absolutely. Laz, so uh, that, that's my journey through football, how we got to to this point. Uh, hopefully mine is not too long, seeing that I'm you know, <laughs> almost, almost double. No, not quite, but close enough to double your age. But um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you've been following football long, a lot longer than I have, more than double the time that I've been following football, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so talk to me about your journey through football, Laz. And how you've got to this point. Yeah, thanks to the wonderful world of television. Um, yes, so, yeah, like I said earlier, SBS had a huge part to play with it. But I do remember prior to, uh, well, at around about the same time, in the early 80s anyway, uh, Channel 7 here used to um, show Match of the Day, the BBC version of it. And so I remember following or watching English football then but um, yeah, I really fell in love with football um, after the 1982 World Cup. Like I was six years old at the time, and I remember watching it, and um, yeah, just being captivated by it. And I would be the kind of kid that would, you know, as soon as SBS got rights for the you know UEFA Cup and the Champions Cup, as it used to be back then, and the Cup Winners Cup, I used to watch all those games. I'd you'd get up at you know 4:30 in the morning and and watch it. Um, so, you know, world soccer on a Saturday afternoon used to be a regular thing for me. It was a must watch television. I just managed to watch it and, you know, um, fell in love with the game there. And, and I got a, my first affiliation with the team 
was Real Madrid that I can remember because um, Les Murray um, had hosted a an episode of World, so- of World Soccer at the time where they did a replay of the 1960 Champions uh, Cup final and it was uh, played at um, Hampton Park and it was Real Madrid versus Eintracht Frankfurt and the score was 7-3. Oh, wow. Right. Goals galore. Yeah, and you had players uh, uh, um, like the Stefano at Real Madrid. And I just remember, um, you know, um, that stuck out in my mind. And then the best thing, and I'd love to see if there's videotapes of this. I might reach out to Andy Pascalese and see, but I wish they had somehow kept, or George Zanikin for that matter, he might know. But um, I wish there was footage of the highlights. uh, Well, So World Soccer used to end with goals of the week with really good music, you know, and you'd see the highlights. And so that I just hope they've managed to keep some of those things on archive somewhere, right? Because just incredible, um, incredible footage. And I remember Hugo Sanchez being Real Madrid uh, number nine, Mexican player, and used to score some amazing goals for Real Madrid. You had Diego uh, Maradona at Barcelona at the time as well. So World Soccer, you know, SBS to their credit, used to try and educate us here who were football starved in effect because you're right, rugby league used to be on, you know, the only show in Sydney anyway. And in Melbourne, you know, obviously they had Australian rules. But, yeah, it was just um, an incredible insight into the world game and how the rest of the world, you know, what was happening in the rest of the world, being a Greek background as well. So, you know, we used to get the – my parents used to get the Greek paper every now and then and, you know, I'd see teams like uh, Iraklis – which is Hercules, but Heracles is how you, you pronounce it in Greek, and they're in the second division in, in Greece now. But um, and they're close to my parents' hometown. But um, Pauk, Salonika, and and Olympiakos or Olympiakos, as they say, as they call it in Greek, and Panathinaikos and uh, Aik, uh, Athens. So you know, you used to read up on all these teams. So I fell in love with the game that way, and and it just continued from there. And the nineteen eighty six World Cup was a huge catalyst for me. That's where I, you know, and Maradona became my favourite player. Yeah, wow. How, how could he not? I mean, Lineker was awesome. You know, he used to play for Everton back then and used to, you know, love Lineker as well. And But you'd see Maradona and he, he was just brilliant. And, you know, so, you know, whatever, uh, and, and I was the kind of kid that whatever magazines they were out, and I used to get Shoot Magazine mm. back, back then from the UK. And this is something that I've never heard of. Shoot magazine. I've never heard of it. So we, we used to get these, um, and I'm showing my age again. And like I said, you know, I'm a kid, you know, born in 76. So, you know, it's a recurring theme here. <laughs> that's right. So, yes, I am an old bastard. But, but um, <laughs> you said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I'm ha- happily admit it. But um, the, so you, there used to be this um, British magazine. There were a couple of others as well, but Shoot magazine was probably the most memorable one. And, they used to cover all the leagues off, obviously, and used to get posters and you used to get ads with the kits and you could buy the full kits and what have you. But we used to get them a month old, obviously, because, uh, you know, of the uh, vague, you know, the transport uh, system around the world, right? So everything used to be, you know, about four to six weeks old, <laughs> those magazines, right? <laughs> but I remember, um, you know, uh, back then, um, in the late 80s, getting uh, magazines and um, reading up on Newcastle United. 
And that's how I kind of started having an interest in Newcastle United. Um, but up until then, I used to, you know, like, you know, I was keen on all the clubs. But, but um, yeah, Kevin Keegan, you, you know, Peter Beardsley, and you had Chris Waddle, um, uh, you know, who, who ended up going to Marseille and was just a phenomenal player. Um, you know, Paul Gascoigne coming through, you know. And, um, yeah, so – Used to, you know, and that's how I became fond of Newcastle. And then, thankfully, the uh, advent of the nineties came around and uh, subscription television, and uh, we used to get uh, English Premier League. Yeah, and uh, all the way through to Match Day Saturday. Mm, yeah. So, and look, yeah, and the nineties were just a great, you know, the late eighties, early nineties was just a vintage thing, for, you know, period of football when you think of Serie A. England was starting to, you know, try they coming out of the um, unfortunate uh, bands that they had at the time, and um, you know, it's and you know coming out after the the Hillsborough and, um, issues as well. So it was a you know rejuvenation of football in England, which took a few years, but you know for them to compete. But you had Spain, which was always. Uh, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, which is always a fiercely contested uh, rivalry. But, you know, but the 90s, you know, Serie A was the, uh, in the early 90s in particular, was the league that everyone wanted to be at because you already had Maradona do what he did with uh, Napoli and, and um, you know, and watching that Maradona film now gives, so, you know, sheds so much light on what actually transpired and what happened to his career and, you know, the Serie A back then as well. And then the Italian 90 World Cup, which was, you know, the final in particular, which is amazing how he actually managed to play that game and actually get fit for that tournament. Um, you know, and, you know, then you go through and uh, you the World Cups have always been a highlight. But, yeah, I mean, look, in Italian 90 had some interesting moments, but it wasn't the, the classic World Cup. But it was just all the drama that was uh, around it. and. And yeah, um, you know, then yet, like we said, you went on to uh, having subscription television, watching uh, um, the uh, EPL, but and here you also had the NSL, right? So yeah, of course. back then, which was you know, which was great football, and it was a great breeding ground for. Yes, it was along uh, ethnic lines in, in most cases, but you had great rivalries in in, in those days as well. Um, like South Melbourne City Olympic used to be a great rivalry, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's – so you grew up seeing these players like, you know, um, Peter Catholis and, you know, uh, other players which, you know, became legends of the game here. So, um, yeah, so and, – and that's – basically it went through to the 90s and obviously the Shearer, you know, Shearer joining Newcastle, going back home and we had a – Golden period with Newcastle back then, and Real Madrid was doing, you know, okay, and and uh, yeah, so and uh, that's where we're at now. Like, I mean, you fast forward, we had look, we suffered a bit of pain uh, as a game, and and obviously this, us football supporters were hurting for a period of time with regards to the old NSL, you know, collapsing and um, waiting for the A League to kick off, but then you know the A League uh, managed to kick off and. And it's, you know, I guess it's just tracking the journey of the game here um, has been a bittersweet thing. You know, it's, uh, you just want to see the game do well. And, you know, we fall in love with a beautiful game and and that's all we can, you know, and just admire beautiful football and great footballers. And that's, uh, 
we've been lucky, you know, blessed enough to do that throughout uh, these years. So, uh, and glad to see a research in Newcastle back and Real Madrid. Yes, you know, it's been a couple of uh, barren years for Newcastle United. Some uh, tough times. <laughs> barren few, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> barren few decades. <laughs> it's been a long time, I can tell you. But yes. Yes, a couple of relegations. Uh, yeah, that's right. I would take the gla- you know, I would take the almost uh, close enough days of the late nineties with Shearer back, you know, back then, and uh, Les Ferdinand, and we had obviously Andy Cole in the early days when Shearer first joined as well, and I'd David Ginolaw. Yeah, David Ginolaw, what a footballer he was. But you know, um, y- you know, it-, it could go on and on, but like you know, um, and we've got SBS. To thank for you know, I've got SBS to thank for that. Um, so, but um, yeah, it's and long may it last, you know, and hope to enjoy football for the rest of my uh, living days because uh, it's just a beautiful sport, and uh, most of the people around it are good, and you know, glad to have children that play it. So, absolutely. So, Laz, Newcastle in England, Real Madrid in Spain, Iracles, yeah, yeah, Iracles in Greece, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyone other than Olympiacos, but uh, I mean, I don't mind. <laughs> nah, I can't say that. I've, I've got got family members that uh, that uh, go for Olympiacos, including my wife. God bless her. But yes, um, but uh, yeah, nah. Look, um, Boca in uh, Argentina, and I've always wanted to go La Bobonera, and I will get there mm. one day. Yeah, a fantastic stadium, and uh, it would be amazing to see a game there. I don't know if the stadium's fantastic. Right? I oh, yes. Da- I think it's dangerous, but I'd love to watch a game there. I'd love to watch a game there, I'll tell you that. Yeah, but it all feeds into it, though, isn't it? That oh, it's, uh, the old school stadiums in South America, the likes of a River Plate Stadium as well, is always always a, a fantastic watch to see. Yeah. It really uh, toing and froing with the supporters. Yeah. No, yeah, no, very true. And look, City FC here in yeah, A-League currently, so, yeah. But um, uh, look, you know, it's no, Newcastle and Real are my shared uh, shared uh, football loves. So talk to me, Laz, about some of your biggest football moments that you've, that you've been through. I'm going to start with a disappointing one. Okay. Not that it shows anything about my character, but... <laughs> but <laughs> A standout MCG World Cup qualifier second leg versus Iran nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, I was there. Uh, I Jeez. was there, and in the Southern Stand, and I can tell you that the Melbourne Cricket Ground. For those of you that were there, can attest to this that that place was absolutely shaking with the amount of noise that was. Incredible, and it actually was probably the first time I felt like a football supporter, um, you know, experiencing a football nation's atmosphere. Right? Uh, National anthem. The place was absolutely shaking. The roars from both goals because Australia were up, um, so it was one all um, the first leg in Tehran with Kuehl scoring at the time. You know, fresh. You know, he was only young then. Um and come back to uh to Melbourne and go to the MCG up to nil cruising like we scored the second so after the second goal goes in uh serial pest uh, that'll remain nameless um mm. you know just uh goes and tears down the net 
and just kills the uh, atmosphere. Like the, the the delay was probably from memory about fifteen minutes. It was just crazy, and and you could just feel all the energy being sapped out of the stadium at the time. Um, but like slowly, but it did sap out, and then to the game. Then then the game, you know proceeded to continue and Iran scored and you thought, oh, hang on, what's going on here? And then the utter disbelief from the second goal, I had never seen so many uh, adults cry leaving that MCG stadium. It was it was really, yeah, it, that was really um, a defining moment as far as our relation, like Australia's relationship with football though, right? Because four years later you had... Uh, again at the MCG, our uh, Uruguay, our first encounter with the Uruguay in a World Cup qualification context with Musket scoring a penalty at the MCG and then going to Montevideo and, and getting pumped. But then, like you mentioned, 2005, and I was on a bit of a football high you know, from 2004 to 2005 because Greece, um, having performed a football miracle, winning the 2004 Euro, which was an incredible, incredible football feat and uh, having the pride and, you know, going out and watching games around town, which was just insane. And, um, yeah, that's a moment that, um, will, you know, that, that I'll cherish uh, forever as well. But then to go to, to be at Homebush for the 2005 qualifier, man, incredible. Because it all fed into... 2005, the likes, the, the both instances of the MCG, and it had been so long prior to that as well. All that built into 2005. Yeah, 32 years, 30, 32 years between, you know, and and that just puts into context how what a what a achievement the 1974 Socceroos had, mm. right? And it should not be understated. And and look, they should be put on a pedestal because if you think about it, really the first real Carna- in, you know, incarnation of a soccer roost team is 1967, which went to um, to Vietnam. You know, during war time, during a wartime, to play a tournament <laughs> for peace. It's just insane, you know. Like, and the history of football in this country is so rich and so varied, and we just we just got to do a better job of 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 capturing it and telling you know telling our story. Um, but I'll tell you what that night that night in November 2005. Yeah, it's it's just an incredible moment in Australian sport. Let alone you know, forget football for a minute, but just Australian sport because to do what we did uh, against uh, Uruguay, who were if you know, they weren't any bums. They were they were you know they were a good team. You had Rakova playing it into Milan at the time, and you had all these other players playing everywhere else. But mind you, you had a, a on paper a really really good Australian side. A really good Australian side, right? So you know, and to uh, but it just goes to show how hard it is to qualify for the World Cup as it was as we knew it in its carnation in two thousand six. You know, and the history that was behind it. You know, absolutely. And this is something that is well, hopefully, anyway, that we're not going to experience again as football in this country. That euphoria of qualifying against all odds to a World Cup and. It's been a tough road for the Socceroos to get to the last, the last few, perhaps none more so than this most recent edition since 2005. You know, which makes the last achievement, like the last World Cup campaign, incredible. And there's some stories to tell there. 
Absolutely. There really are some stories that need to be told there. And, and, um, you know, maybe, we, you know, we'll be able to tell those stories in one guise or another. It's just, it, it, you know, in due course, but oh, it, it just adds so much gravitas to what they achieved and makes you fall in love with the game even more, you know? It does, but that's not something that we're going to experience again, ideally, with the expansion of the World Cup, because you would expect Australia to be comfortable qualifiers at pretty much every other tournament moving forward. And unless the game sort of takes a bit of a dive in terms of the quality of the national team, which I think perhaps is not around the corner, just the look, looking at some of the young players coming through at the moment, I don't expect the Socceroos to fall off to the point where the ninth or 10th best team in Asia. Yeah. I don't really see it. Mm. And it's something that is missing, I think. It will be missed qualifying for a World Cup. Yes, it's great that we're going to be there pretty much every single time, but the qualification process, this goes for New Zealand as well. There's a lot to be said about the whole journey to get to a World Cup and just throughout the next couple of years where Australia will be playing matches against our Asian Mm. counterparts, Mm. there is sort of this... Feeling that, okay, yeah, sure, we're going to qualify, no worries. And there isn't that sort of jeopardy that there has been in the previous campaigns. Yeah, you make a point there, right? And, and it's a valid point. Um, I do see, though, that the rest of Asia will lift as well. And it's, it's you know, the Asian Confederation will get uh, quite competitive. And there may be a point in time, where, you know, where we do need to go through the hard road again to qualify and if that's the case, well, you know, we'll just, um, you know, it's obviously our job to try and avoid it in, in that case. But, yeah, look, you know, the world is getting a lot closer in football and it's good to see, right? It's good to see. Look, I think Australia's most significant football moment, though, and, and one of the most memorable ones in my lifetime was the 2015 AFC Asian Cup victory. Mm, yeah. um, I was there that night with, um, you know, my uh, son who was under 10 at the time and, and uh, his cousins and, and uh, brother, and, and it was just an incredible night of football, uh, you know, and the weight of what was achieved that night by that side after such a successful tournament as well. I mean, the tournament was, you know, thought it, people thought it'd be a failure. It wasn't. And it was, you know, a remarkable success. And that, um, and being in the stadium at, um, at Homebush that night after, you know, 10 years, well, Nine, nine and a bit years after the uh, 2005 um, victory, you know, it's just incredible. And maybe there'll be another moment to come in six months' time, something similar, where the women's game descends on Australia and New Zealand and perhaps we can get some more magical moments in Australian football. I have to make a correction. I think um, I actually, my, my son was uh, 14, or no, 13. At the time of the tw- of the 2015 victory, <laughs> so I'm not trying to hide my age. It's just that <laughs> got my timeline wrong there. Just to, you know, for people that know me, but um, but yeah, it's you know, like the weight of that, the weight of that victory was incredible. And you're right. Look, I don't think that aside from people that have been fortunate enough to be in a World Cup, and I haven't, but um, I don't think that the general public actually have any idea of what is on its way later on this year. You're completely right. You're completely right. It has flown massively under the radar, this tournament. And there's going to be so much fanfare, so much culture that comes and descends, not only on Sydney, but across the ditch as well. And it's going to be a brilliant time for football here. And I think a lot of people are sort of thinking that it'll lead to us potentially hosting a World Cup of the Men's variety in years to come. 
but that's down the road. That's not something to worry about now. The focus should be on this tournament and what a fantastic opportunity it is for the game in, in this country. Yeah, yeah, and we, and we are going to try and get some people on from the uh, Women's World Cup um, to uh, have a chat to us about um, where they see prog- you know progress at and that'll happen in due course. So, yeah, looking forward to having those chats as well. But, yeah, I think that'll be the highlight of the year, Nathan. Yeah, hard to argue. At the start of the year, as we sit, early January, we're getting to mid-January now, but uh, that is the one highlight that does stand out above all the others that finally we have a major international football tournament descending on the Antipodes. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. So should we um, just tell people how we got uh, this podcast together? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, because we did and- go ask about face in a way with this podcast. <laughs> because of when we decided to bring it together. And it might just explain how we ended up going Ask About Face. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Ask About Face perhaps should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> Not old bastard, young bastard. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, we met back in May. Mm, yep, May 2022. Yep, over on the other side of the world mm-hmm. in Madrid. Mm-hmm. As we're both doing a, a sports management course, Master mm. in Business Administration. Yep. Through Torrens University. Correct. And I think for both of us and perhaps the rest of the cohort, the big carrot for the course was a two-week residency in Madrid and a program with the Real Madrid Business School. And Correct. COVID delays and other delays mm-hmm. led it to being the can being kicked down the road a couple of times. Yep. But- about two years overdue for myself. Mm-hmm. And same, same. Yeah, no, I was supposed to, yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be May 2020 and, um, yeah, exactly two years. It was my last outstanding unit. Yeah, same here, same here. And it was only maybe, I think I did one unit in about 12 or 18 months or so. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just the, the amount of delay that there was. Yeah. And finally got over there. Yeah. And we had a great time. And yes. towards the end of the trip, we went out to- uh, uh, a pretty snazzy-looking bar. It was uh, quite modern, quite uh, uh, black and gold sort of uh, design, interior design. It looked fantastic. Yeah, it was. It was a great place, actually. It was a bit late in the night, too, it was, and it was not too far from the Santiago Bernabeu, just around the corner, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, so we went and watched um, the last round of La Liga, which was the week before the Champions League final between Liverpool mm. and Real Madrid to be played in Paris, but uh, we happen to be in Madrid for uh, Real Madrid versus- Real Betis. Real Betis, yes. And unfortunately, it was a, a nil draw, no score. Yep. But as soon as I stepped into the Bernabeu on that night, mm. you could just feel all the history and all mm. the emotion that resonates from the stadium and just watching the game just quickly, just Luka Modric, first time I saw him wow. in the flesh and- Wow, you could immediately tell that he was just a class above everyone else on the pitch, and the way he'd find space, and it was just, it was just a beautiful game that he had. And although Benzema had one chance later on in the game that he probably should have taken, mm. it uh, set them up set them up nicely for the Champions League final a week later. Yeah, it was a good training run for the Champions League final, that's for sure. And I'm saying that as a Real Madrid supporter. <laughs> I tell you what, yeah, and look, shout out to uh, our. Cohort, uh, fellow co- cohort members of that uh, trip there to Madrid in May 2022. 
and uh, Torrens University and Darren Adamson. Um, yeah, it was uh, a memorable trip. Um, that's for sure. It was, you know, um, just an incredible experience. And uh, we also managed to see Atletico Madrid versus Sevilla, which the we week did. before, yeah, which was at the Wanda Metropolitano. And um, yeah, Suarez's last um, home game for Atletico Madrid. Yeah, that it was. And that was a two-all draw, I believe it was. And there was a lot of uh, controversial decisions in that one. I remember the uh, Atleti, uh, the crowd in tents were not happy with the referee, nor were they with Sevilla as well. There was uh, one thing they kept on chanting over and over again, Punto Sevilla, Punto Sevilla. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, that's right. But, um, no, was, yeah, look, it Great ground as well, um, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Bernabeu, which is being you know incredible that they played at a stadium, um, which is you know a demo, which was a construction site, and uh, um, you know, and we were fortunate enough to um, spend um, you know have sessions with uh, the Real Madrid executive, and they were telling us what the Bernabeu is going to look like uh, when the finished product uh, uh, comes around, and geez, that'll be a stadium to behold. Uh, that'll be something to get back to Madrid for, that's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And getting back to uh, that night after the Real Madrid mm, game, mm, mm. Went, back, uh, went back to the bar that I was all describing and just we sat down, there was a, a bowl of nuts on the table and we just got talking about football and and yeah, and I invited you over once we got back in Sydney to come on British Football Watch, which was a, a program that I've been a part of with Barry Hansen, mm. Mickey Brock, mm. and Joel Hansen mm. down the years as well mm. for about four or five years now. And I thought you'd be a great fit to jump on the program with two Sunderland supporters as well, <laughs> the likes of Joel and Barry. And I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect to get you on. And don't forget Joe. Don't forget Joe. Uh, Joe. Joe as well. Joe Russo. Joe Russo. Of course. Yes. Uh, all the guys on British Football Watch on uh, Sutherland Shire Community Radio, 2SSR. And it was great once you first walked in the door, because I told you that night when you first came on, mm-hmm. and it was, I, I told you to wear a Newcastle shirt, because yep. I knew we'd get a reaction from Barry. Yep. And as soon as you walked in the door, I remember Barry yelling out, what the fuck is that? <laughs> 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 yep, that's right. And that was my first meeting at Barry. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. No, it's, and it's been good, you know, and we, we've, you and I, and look, you know, I don't hold it against you that you're a Man U supporter. I've got family members that are Man U supporters <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, very close friends of mine that are Man U supporters uh, that, um, you know, very dear to me. So um, even though I don't like the club, um, you know, uh, I don't hold it against anyone. Uh, <laughs> feel free to support whoever you like. And, you know, um, we actually asked the question uh, on our Instagram page, like, what made you fall in love with football? And my oldest son and a few others actually, uh, very good friends of mine, just texted one word, Liverpool. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Yep. Football, football does strange things to strange people. How people can go for Liverpool, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but yes, a couple of weeks into uh, you being on British Football Watch, then uh, you put it to me. Have you ever thought about starting up a podcast? Yeah. And I'd always wanted to get one going, but uh, for a variety of reasons, it never actually happened. But uh, here we are. Here we are. So the podcast is your idea initially. You're the one who uh, pitched it to me rather than the other way around. And 
it's been a great journey and uh, so far, and long may it continue. Yeah, look, yeah, I agree. Long may it continue. Um, look, it, it's always good to just um, have a chat about football. You know, I mean, oh, hopefully people get the impression that uh, – not the impression, but they, you know, feel comfortable just um, listening to us, having a chat and, you know, pretending – or visioning, you know, imagining that they're at a coffee shop just having a chat to friends of theirs having, you know, talking about football. And that's where uh, where this comes from. And, um, yeah, look, it was good to get feedback uh, from the World Cup episode. So, and that's why we went asked about face. We actually didn't even introduce ourselves or anything like that to the podcast world. We just said, just okay, we're doing, a po- <laughs> we're doing a podcast and we're, we're going to use the World Cup, you know, the Men's World Cup as a catalyst uh, to um, – to introduce it and, um, you know, to introduce the podcast and we're lucky enough to get guests and, um, yeah, and this is our first Backpeg episode, so there you go. Yes, episode one of the Backpeg, about uh, two, two and a half months since we started recording them. Well, we finally put out our episode one, so, uh, <laughs> yes, Ask About Face uh, could be the name of the, the show and um, this is sort of the format that we're going to take moving forward with the Backpeg, I think. So we want to talk, tell stories about football. We don't necessarily want to do match reports and things that happen in the week, sort of like a weekly review type show. That's sort of not really what we want to be going for. We want to go for stories, people's journeys through football. Of course, if there's something big, then we'll cover it, a major story. But we want to talk about the game as a whole because I think there's a lot more value in that, people's experiences, emotions, why they do the things they do. And it should be some great, timeless content down the line as we get more and more guests on. We hope to get one on pretty much every single episode and talk through their football journey, how they got to the point of recording, and it, it should be a lot of fun. That's the point, just to try and talk about the issues um, or the themes a bit deeper um, and not just say, okay, you know, um, Newcastle 2, Man U 1, right? So <laughs> um, nothing like that, right? So. Um, yeah, so yeah, that that's the whole premise that we're going to you know try and get uh, guests of uh, of interest in, um, you know, talk about their journeys and and also um, you know whatever uh, whatever it is that their relationship or involvement with football is, and, and just delve in a little bit deeper and tell the stories, hopefully, and hopefully we do a good job of it and people find it interesting and exciting. So please tell your friends, and if you've liked it, if you've liked what you've heard. Feel free to, you know, please subscribe, please share, hit that like button, give us a rating. We appreciate, you know, feel free to DM us and interact with us. So, um, yeah, we're open to all suggestions. Absolutely. And something looming over the horizon perhaps is the uh, Carabao Cup final. (laughs) Our two two teams are in the uh, semifinals and perhaps there'll be a a backpack derby in the final. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, but yes, thank you very much for everyone for listening to this episode and do uh, leave us a review if you so fancy it and uh, we'll speak to you soon. But for now, I've been Nathan Gould. Thanks again, Nathan. I'm Lazarus Grimmels and take care all. Mm-hmm.